This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. You know, I was at a conference yesterday in Columbus, and there was a speaker named Kevin Brown, and he posed something that has been gnawing on me for a while. It really captured my attention. He pointed out how sometimes we say things, and we say it over and over, that we assume that it's true. One of the things that we say is that extraordinary people are what? Ordinary people doing what? Something extraordinary. And we say it because we want to, you know, talk about humility and everything else. But if you really think about that saying, and you think about what we have just celebrated, that is, we've celebrated the fact that God came into the world in the form of a man named Jesus. The purpose of that man was to lay down his life, to pay the price that every one of us is due to pay because of our offense to God, that he did that, that we didn't deserve that, and he did it because we're told love. He did it because he valued us that much. And that if we believe in Jesus, we have a new identity. That's what Rick was talking about. That's what we were just saying. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. I am a child of God. I have a new identity. But there's more to it, if you can believe that. There's more to it. Not only are you a child of God, you come a place in which the Spirit of God dwells who resources you to live for God. And so that saying of ordinary people doing extraordinary things is really not true based on that what is true, and Kevin Brown points this out, and I agree with him, we need to flip that because what is true is that if you are a child of God, you are an extraordinary people, person who has the daily opportunity to choose not to be ordinary, not to be ordinary. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are made right with God through faith. And now your life, based on what God has done, becomes a series of decisions not to be ordinary. Bible word for that is live according to the flesh. Live according to the world. You are extraordinary. Make decisions not to be ordinary. We have an opportunity now to act upon that, to make a decision to do something that's extraordinary, a decision not to be ordinary. You have an opportunity now to express your faith by filling out the card in the bulletin and asking for prayer from our elders and our staff and our tra- prayer members. You have an opportunity now to give thanks to what God is doing in your life and an opportunity not to be ordinary by testifying to, to God's at work in your life, identifying the good things. You have an opportunity not to be ordinary by saying yes to uh, things that we have going on as a community of the extraordinary in serving our God and His mission. You have an opportunity to be generous, to give, to acknowledge God is the owner and I am His manager and I'm going to respond to the call to do what I'm called to do to be part of this mission by giving. 
So our friends are going to come and we're going to take up offering. As they're taking up offering, a couple of things I, I want you to be aware of, opportunities not to be ordinary. Those of you that are parents of high schoolers, you have an opportunity not to be ordinary in that, and we uh, have a gathering designed to encourage you, to bless you, to uh, bring you together with other parents of high schoolers within this community of faith. It's called Phase tonight, 6 o'clock, 6 to 8. We would like for you to register, if you can, go to mountcarmelchurch.org and look at the events section and sign up. The reason we need you to sign up is because we're eating, we're having food, and we want to make sure we have food for you. And, you know, we don't have to get, you know, take what I'm going to have and give it to you. No, um, we'd like for you to let us know you're coming so we've prepared for you for food. We're going to ha- eat together. We're going to play together. And then we're going to take a time where uh, high schoolers, our students, will go and have a conversation about the Word of God in their life. And parents will gather around. And my wife and I, Shannon and I, and uh, Brian Davis and Lisa Davis. Lisa Davis is our children's minister. We are not long from having kids in our home who are high schoolers, and we would like to just take an opportunity to talk about what we've learned and any advice and counsel we can give from helping them through the stresses of life to discussing ACT and college placement and anything you want to talk about uh, in that time, an opportunity to encourage each other not to be ordinary as parents of teens in this world. 25 years ago, uh, members of this church, a group, small group, Pat and Barb Logan and their small group decided to take uh, a stand to make a, make a decision not to be ordinary in starting a ministry called The Giving Tree. And we put tags on a tree and we said the tags list out gifts that families in need who have courageously have overcome their pride and said, you know, this Christmas finances prove that we won't be able to give our kids a Christmas. And so this is an opportunity to help with that, to remind people that the basis of Christmas is thanksgiving for the generosity of God in His Son. And so giving tree. We have a tree out there, still has some tags. If you want to go out, grab a tag. You'll see a, a present listed. This is what we've received from families. We, we, we provide that, and it may be, some of you might be like, whoa, this is pretty extravagant. Exactly. Do you think (laughs) Jesus was not extravagant uh, in his gift to the world? Exactly. So let's be extravagant in our kindness and in our gift, and uh, let's uh, buy those gifts, get those gifts, and bring them in. I think the return date is December 1st, and if you can do that, that would be fantastic. Another opportunity for extraordinary people to choose not to be ordinary. Thanks, Kevin Brown, for that insight and phraseology. So one of the things I like to do every now and then when I watch TV is the PBS show, This Old House. I like to watch that. How many enjoy the PBS show? It's about these guys, that are, I guess they're from the East Coast, Boston. People ask me when I, they hear me talk, hear my accent, they're like, are you from Boston? I'm like, really? I'm like, no. Further, a little more east and way south, way south, <laughs> Africa. But anyway, I like to watch a show. It's, these guys are characters, and they do these remodel projects, and you learn about plumbing and carpentry and landscaping and painting and all this stuff. A uh, favorite segment of the show is the uh, part where they go, what is this? And what these guys do, the experts gather around a table, and they try to figure out what these strange-looking tools, what their real purpose is. And it's pretty funny to hear the guesses they make. 
And then finally, the guy who knows for sure shows exactly what the tools made of. We've got a segment for you to enjoy. Enjoy, what is this? What is it? <laughs> All right, guys, they are made of metal. They are red, and they have different size squares and shapes on the end of each piece. What is it? Mm -hmm. Once again, I know the answer. You I do? Yeah. You know the this answer? This is really Very getting unlikely. boring, because I always know what it is. <laughs> be good. There's nothing I love more than to take my canoe out fishing. <laughs> Paddle out to the middle of the bay, yeah. find just the right spot where the fish are, go to set up, and the wind and the tide just blow me right off yeah. the spot. Yeah. You know, it could carry a big anchor, but it's so big it would tip the canoe over. That's this is anchor. the perfect anchor <laughs> for my canoe. Like yeah, what do you got, the wind? Yeah. That's cute. <laughs> it's great because I can anchor in mud, I can anchor in rock, and all I got to do is tie a line on, cool. toss it down, and I am in the fish. It's so not what it is. It's a wee little anchor. Nice track. Yeah. Nice wee Irish anchor? <laughs> These are actually dumbbells off free weights, and I work out a lot. And, you know, yeah, I, I right. Carry these in the truck. <laughs> I can do my curls. You know, I have to worry about the carpal tunnel stuff. Yeah, you don't it's work out that much. You all pumped up. Hey, hey, hey! I, I, I've lost some weight. Yeah, yeah you gained it back. <laughs> you know, I don't often think of curls in you, but definitely you and dumbbells. <laughs> now, guys, you know what these are? This is a burglar alarm. In translation for you, Roger, burglar alarm. <laughs> now, so you could set the alarm and have that whistle go off, or at night you could just take a box of these and you just kind of throw them down on the floor right in front of the front door. Gotcha! Wake up, and then when he's down there tripping all over, you just take one and boom! <laughs> no, this is actually a tool for the plumbing industry. A what? A tool for the plumbing industry. You guys get robbed a lot? Well, no. So, in the house, there's always a main drain that's going to go out to the sewer. And sometimes in the basement, you, you, it might be flush with the finished floor. Mm -hmm. And you really want to be able to service this, but you don't want to be able to stub your toe. So they make, <laughs> a, they make a plug that doesn't have this exposed nut. It has a countersunk one. So you tell me. How are you going to tighten it up? I'm going to call you. Because <laughs> you have a tool. All right, so look at this. So now you go here. Oh, Tighten it up. You can put a wrench on it. Now, there's all different sizes. So, Roger, which size do you think this one needs? Uh, uh, let me go. guess. This one! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what's fun is to hear these guys come up with what they think the tool's all about, right? I mean, that one with those dumbbells, weight. It's always interesting. It was always fun. You know, it points to something that I don't know if you've experienced it, but I have. Many times we might use a tool for the wrong purposes, right? I mean, we've many times picked up a tool and we thought, well, I, I guess I can use it for this. And, and you can do that, and it may or may not work, but most of the time, if you use a tool for the wrong purposes, you're going to end up in trouble. You're going to break the tool. You're going to ruin the uh, thing that you're working with. Uh, it's just not good. The tool is designed to be used for a certain purpose, and it gets its fullest potential when it's used for what it was designed to be used for. Now, this same lesson applies to, I think, our lives and the way we're designed as human beings to live, the way God designed us. You know, the, the basis for addiction, the basis for a person looking to drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever their addiction is, is not because it feels bad, right? Why do these people do these things, you wonder? Well, they do it because it feels good. It feels good. 
It's pursuing a need. It's looking out for something that God designed us to have, but it's doing it in the wrong way. You see, addiction many times is us trying to have some unmet need fulfilled to, to find peace, to find wholeness, to find healing, to find uh, connection and relationship, to find community. It's using the good feelings we would have in experiencing these things, but choosing things that are wrong, that give us a short-term good feel, but in the long term are destructive because we're using something, pursuing something that is good, but we're doing it in the wrong way, by the wrong means, with the wrong tools. Now, we've been going through this series and having a conversation about thanksgiving and gratitude. And, you know, read all the, the latest news. There's institutes on gratitude. There's scientists dedicated to the study of the benefits of gratitude. And, and there's just no doubt from the scripture to science to social sciences to relationship, gratitude is good for you. If you are a grateful person, if you practice gratitude in your day-to-day -day living, if you are more of a thank you kind of person, it benefits you. It benefits you physically. It benefits you emotionally. It benefits you relationally. It benefits your outlook in life. You become a more resilient person dealing with stress and troubles and difficult times if you are one who practices gratitude. Gratitude is an outlook changer that makes you a person that's durable and strong, that is just all in all good for you. But even with gratitude, we can pursue the benefits of gratitude in a way that is wrong, in a way that is destructive. We can use what God gives us for good, and it can be done in a manner that brings out destruction what are you talking about, Dee? Well, I'm talking about revenge. What do you mean? Well, I mean this. Someone hurts you. We've all been there. Human beings living in this world, someone is going to hurt you. You're going to let you down, say something that harms you, say something that offends you, say something that, 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 that is disloyal and, and, and wound you deeply. And it may be something minor, and it may be something abusive and, and, and horrific. We've all been hurt, and when we're hurt, the natural reaction on being hurt is to appeal to justice, and in appealing to justice, it invokes anger and wrath. These are appropriate responses to what is wrong in the world, and then when we're angry and we're mad and we want to extract revenge, when we extract payment for the hurt we've received, we enter into this mindset that all of a sudden we're like, okay, I'm going to get... I'm going to get that person back. I'm going to see them suffer. I want them to pay and pay in spades for what they have done to me. And that anger burns up inside of us. And, and ultimately, we start to fantasize. We start to dream about the day in which we will see that enemy of ours. We'll see that person that has hurt us get what they deserve. And we look forward to that day because we say that day is a day of rejoicing. I'll be so happy when they get what they need coming to them. I'll be so glad when there's justice and I can say, ha ha, you deserved it, sucker. Maybe not sucker, but anyway. <laughs> I was getting a little carried away there. <laughs> but we've all been there, haven't we? And we've all pursued 
the desire to be thankful, to rejoice at the pain and suffering and demise of someone that has hurt us, our enemy. But the Bible says that's like taking a drug. That's using the gift of thankfulness in a manner that wasn't designed for. And while you might get that momentary sense of joy, you will end up being eaten up inside with bitterness. It will destroy you and it will keep you from being right with God in life. It's a hard thing to do. But this is where our scripture for today, as we've journeyed through the Proverbs and investigating the nuances and the ins and outs of gratitude, this is where our proverb, Proverb 24, verses 17 and 18, this is where it goes. This proverb is a series uh, is one of a series of sayings. There's 30 sayings of the wise. It's this category in the book. It's 30 sayings. This is number 28. And this is what this proverb says. Follow along with me. It says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. So gloat, we've got this idea of gloat, being thankful, rejoicing, excited, right? Being having filled with gratitude. When they stumble, do not let your heart, what? Rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Don't make thankfulness be the fuel that your bitterness burns. Don't look to take revenge and be, have that motivation of feeling good and grateful and happy that, that the one who offended you and hurt you, don't, don't let that be the reason why you're thankful. You know, this is what Jesus said regarding revenge, regarding getting what you deserve. You've heard that it was said, and so he's saying, hey, this is the general rule for all of us that we understand, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, justice. But I tell you, if you're going to be part of my kingdom, if you're going to be part of my people, if you're going to be one who is extraordinary, living, choosing not to be ordinary, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What's he talking about? Being a doormat? Being weak? No, he's talking about revenge. He's talking about revenge, and he's pointing to the truth that we saw in the probability that this. God has given us the gift of gratitude to be used to celebrate good. Right? God has given us the gift of gratitude to celebrate good. The way I put it in our bulletin, God wants me to be thankful for the good. God wants me to be thankful for the good. But this is tough, man. This is tough. I'm just being transparent here. I read this and I think through this and I'm thinking, man, this sounds kind of wimpy. I mean, this is not, this is, this is not me. I'm an aggressive kind of guy. Someone punches me or offends me. I'm, I'm getting back up and we're going to go. I want to make sure you pay. This doesn't sound 
Something that resonates. It sounds weak and wimpy. It sounds like, like I'm supposed to stuff my anger and my feelings and, and I'm supposed to deny it. I'm supposed to be a doorman. I'm supposed to be weak and, and soft. This is, what it, this is what it feels like. Turn the other cheek and give them, hey, why don't you hit the other side? This no, it doesn't sit with me. And so I'm thankful for the Bible in that it gives us many accounts, stories of individuals who put this into action. And this individual in particular that I'm going to point to was not a weak man. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was dangerous. But he was also called a man after God's own heart. And he was also called a man who lived by faith. I'm talking about a man named David. Uh, David, you remember him? He's the one that we talk about who was called by God to slay the giant Goliath. He's a young man. He's a shepherd. He joins his brothers on the battlefield. He's taking them food. He hears Goliath, the enemy's champion, basically cussing out, insulting the army of God, the Israelites, and the God that they serve. And he's like, what are you guys doing? gets up enraged on behalf of God and says, let me at him. They said, go for it. Here's all the tools you'll need, the sword and the armor and everything else. He's like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't suit me. This is not how I operate. So he goes out, what, with a sling and a, and a stone and whoop, takes down the enemy, Goliath. Well, this David now becomes the one that we discover is anointed the prophet Saul Basically, he says, you will be the one that God has chosen to be the king. But he anoints him. He officially communicates this truth to him while there is another king on the throne of the people of Israel. His name Saul. And David goes into the service of Saul after he slays the giant, and he dedicates himself to serve Saul even though he knows that he's the one that's being chosen to be the king, but he knows that God hasn't made the right time for him yet, and so he serves Saul. He serves the people of Israel, and he succeeds because he's blessed by God. His battles are won. His, his victories are, are, are great, and all of a sudden, he becomes the rising star in Israel, and Saul takes notice, and being a weak and insecure and faithless man, Saul becomes eaten up with jealousy, and Saul tries to kill David. Told of account where, where David is in the room, he's playing music for Saul, and Saul takes a spear and tries to pin him to the wall, it says. And David has to flee and run, and he runs to the hills, to the wilderness, and a band of, of, of crazy people join him. You know, guys on the edge of society, bandits and, and, and low lives and people that don't fit in, people that have a sense of we're going to be a bunch of outlaws. They go and rally around David. And in Samuel chapter 20, you, you hear the story, this cat and mouse tale of Saul pursuing David through the mountains, up and down, all over the place, trying to kill him. Now, if anybody had the right to be upset by how he was being treated at that moment, it would have been David. 
I mean, if anyone is going to say, look, I have done nothing wrong. I've been nothing but loyal to Saul. I've been nothing but faithful to Saul. Yet now you're accusing me of disloyalty. You're accusing me of unfaithfulness, and you're trying to kill me. If anyone has been maligned, it is me. And for goodness sake, I'm the one that's been anointed by God to be the king. And so if anyone had a right to extract revenge, a right to retaliate, Against Saul, it would have been David. And in the story, 1 Samuel 20, we're told of two occasions, two occasions where Saul, in effect, is handed over to David, where David had an opportunity to act on any impulse that he might have to extract revenge. One time, there's this cat and mouse game going on. They're running up and down hills and hiding from one another. And the Bible says, well, 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 David's going down one mountain, Saul's going up the other. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and David and his men find a cave. They hide in the cave. Saul comes around. His men are around there. They don't know David's at the back of the cave. It's a deep cave. So they're standing in the dark. They're watching. And Saul <laughs> decides it's time to go to the bathroom. So he leaves his guard, he leaves his men for some privacy, of course, and he goes to the front of the cave to, as the Bible says, relieve himself. I mean, that's what's cool about the Bible. It's like, tells you these kind of details. And there's David in the back, and all the guys are like, oh, oh my goodness. David, God has given you your enemy. Kill him right now. Kill him right now. Take revenge. This is your chance. But this is what David says. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Wow. Second occasion, Saul is chasing David. We're told he's got like... Contingent of 3,000 men they're pursuing. He's pretty, he's muscled up on his military, and he's pursuing David, and David is in hiding. He finds out from his scouts where Saul's camped. He said, okay, let's check this out. So he says, all right, I need a volunteer. He's going to come with me, and we're going to check out the camp of Saul. And one of his lieutenants, one of his crazy men, says, his name's Abishai. He says, sure, let's do this. So they creep into the camp of Saul, 3,000 men, and they're all out. They're all asleep. And David tiptoes his way in all the way to the center of the camp where the king, Saul, is asleep. We're told he's asleep right there by the fire. His spear, his weapon is by him, and his his water jug is right there by him, and uh, they're standing over the king. Abishai has got his spear, and Abishai is one of those crazy guys that are hanging out with David, and he's like, just give me the word. Just give me the word. You won't, I won't have to shoot twice. I will stick this man into the ground one time. But again, what does David say? Don't destroy him, right? Don't destroy him, Abishai. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But as the Lord, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. 
God wants me, God wants me to use thankfulness for good. And so what does the story tell us? What does David's example show us? First of all, here's one who is extraordinary choosing not to be ordinary. How? He refuses to be motivated by thankfulness to extract revenge for the hurts he has received personally. And how does he get there? Well, the beauty of the story of David is we enter into his private thoughts and his heart through the door of songs that he wrote, worship songs called the Psalms. And in many of the Psalms, you have a note that says, David wrote this Psalm when he was being pursued by Saul. And you read those Psalms, and what are those Psalms all about? There are Psalms of lament and pain and suffering. David is like, God, this is not right. This is not fair. My enemies are trying to kill me for something that I didn't do. I'm so upset. I'm so angry. Crush him, kill him. I mean, it's, get, it's getting brutal. And what we have is a man's heart laid out, poured out before God. The hurt, the, the wounds, the suffering. He's not, he doesn't hold back. He makes it a worship song. And what is a worship song? A worship song is a communication of submission to God. It's a relinquishing of my wants and my rights and my view to God. And what we've discovered is that David lays out his right to extract revenge before God, and he lets it go. David lays out his hurt, his pain, his suffering. He lays them out before God. And he says, God, I will approach this not from my perspective, not from my desire to extract revenge, but instead I will submit this to you and I will do what you instruct and I'll honor what you want me to honor and I will choose the path that you have laid before me, I will give to you my right to extract revenge. I will not use my desire to give thanks for the demise of my enemy. God wants me to be thankful for the good. I have a friend who's a counselor. And as a counselor, through the course of his practice, he has dealt with some terrible things and terrible stories. He's heard and seen things that no one needs to hear and see. One time, a person came into his practice, and the person in the council confessed to horrifically molesting a child. And my friend said, as this man began to share the story and the details, his rage was just going right there, and he began to just want this man to suffer. He wanted this man to pay for what he had done. He wanted this man to, to, to get everything he deserved. He began to hate. And in this moment, God gave him a nudge. And God pointed out a pair of glasses, his reading glasses, 
that was sitting on the desk between he and this other person. And God said, I need you to change your perspective. I need you to take your glasses of how you see this person, and I want you to put on my glasses to see him as I see him. This is no excusing. This is no uh, making a decision to sweep things under the rug. No. Instead, I want you to relinquish your perspective and submit to mine and to see this person as I see him, even in the pit of this nastiness. This is what I think it means when Paul says that the kind of love that we're to have as Jesus followers, extraordinary people choosing not to be ordinary, this is what I think it means when he says in 1 Corinthians, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. I will not use the gift of thankfulness to be the motivation to extract revenge for hurts that I have received or hurts that I carry. Craig Groeschel is a pastor of a fairly significant church. 2012, he wrote a book called Soul Detox, and he shared about his struggle with a personal bitterness that almost destroyed him. Personal bitterness had to deal with the fact that he wanted an individual to suffer and pay and get everything he deserved because of a hurt that this individual had done to Craig's little sister. You see, in the town that they grew up, there was a sixth grade teacher named Max that everyone loved. Everyone enjoyed going through Max's class. He was fun. He gave easy A's. He joked around with the kids. He had his favorites. It wasn't until later that people began to notice that his favorites always happened to be pretty little young girls who, unfortunately, he had molested. And one of those he had molested was Craig's little sister. When the news broke and it all came out, Craig was livid sad reality is that we live in a world where some statistics say one in three girls have been sexually molested, one in four. It's a horrific number. It's terrible. And I know God, God's wrath will deal with that. Craig's wrath as a big brother stirred inside of him. And the anger and the hurt and the frustration turned into a fire of rage. He, he began to fantasize on how he was going to deal with this. He prayed that this man would burn in hell. He prayed that he had an opportunity to make his life miserable before he got there. He began to scheme of ways in which he could hurt this man. But he soon discovered that this man was already in hospital suffering. 
inflicted with a, a disease that was life-threatening, mu muscular dystrophy. He was in agony and pain, and at the news of this, it was a bittersweet thing for Craig because he was like, oh, yes, he's getting what he deserved. It was bitter because he wasn't the one that brought about, but he thanked God that this was happening. But unfortunately, Craig soon discovered that that bitterness and the news and the celebration that he had regarding this man's demise didn't deal with what was going on inside of him, the fire, the rage, the pain. Didn't solve it. In fact, what he discovered was the truth is, is that the bitterness, that self-righteous position that he was taking was equally offensive to God as this man's actions. And so this is what he says regarding working through this. A vast majority of people would agree that my hate and judgmental rage were more than justified. In the course of time, however, I learned that bitterness never draws us closer to God. Bitterness is a non-productive, toxic emotion, usually resulting from resentment over unmet needs. I wanted Max to suffer, but I was punishing no one else but myself and those around me who experienced the scalding spillovers of the acid churning inside of me. God wants me to be thankful for the good. You know, the antidote to bitterness is forgiveness. And forgiveness is choosing not to receive, relinquishing my rights to receive payment for the hurts that I have received. Forgiveness is when I choose not to hold your offenses against you any longer. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a decision of the heart. Reconciliation is a, a, a decision regarding relationships. Sometimes we can't reconcile the folks relationally, but we always are called to forgive them. We're called as Jesus followers to release the right of extracting payment for hurts received to us to forgive. And the basis of that, Jesus says, is you, have to, you forgive. Why? Because God has forgiven you. See, grace begets grace. Forgiveness begets forgiveness, right? And Jesus tells a story. He says, you know, there was a story about these two servants. One owed the king like 20 million bucks, and the king forgave him that 20 bucks. The man was excited, walked out of, out of the court with the king, and then ran into his buddy who owed him $2, and held him up by the scruff of the neck saying, pay me my $2, I'll throw you into prison if you don't. And the story was this, you've been forgiven much, you need to be forgiven of those who offended you. Why? Because that's the nature of it. And this is the way you release the bitterness that is toxic. You release it and give it over to God. And the means by which this is activated is what I've discovered. The means by which this is activated, this ability to forgive, comes from being thankful for the good. It comes from a perspective change of realizing that God has forgiven me what he has the right to call for regarding my offenses to him. And not only that, there are people in this world, if I'm truly honest, there are others in this world that have a right 
to have me pay for the things that I've done to them. They are equally tempted to rejoice at my suffering. Why? Because I've offended them. I've hurt them. I've let them down. I've wounded them. So in order to, to, to be free of this, what I'm called to do is take a moment of, of, of perspective changing by giving thanks, by saying, I'm thankful for the forgiveness that God has given me. And I will express my hurt, but I will not be the means by which I get something for me. No, I will give it to God and trust. I will trust that He will do what is best because I know for sure I'm not going to do what's best. I'll tell people this regularly. It's a good thing I'm not God. A lot of people would be dead. <laughs> and it's a good thing you're not God because I know I'd probably be dead. <laughs> but thankfulness is to be used for what is good. And when we engage in the practice of thankfulness, when we engage in the practice, make sure it is for the good, for that is the appropriate use of the gift. That releases the full potential, the life. That is, and again quoting what I heard this weekend, that is choosing not to be ordinary. Choosing not to be ordinary. God wants me to be thankful for the good. So is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there someone in your life whom you need to take the rage and the bitterness and the hurt and you need to, to, to express it to God? You need to perhaps gather with some fellow God followers and, and, and help with them, work through that, and, and in that process, not do it so that you can just stir it up. No, do it so that you can let it go. Is there someone that you need to, to really uh, have a perspective change and, and, and take a moment to say, I'm thank though I've received all these things, though I have been offended in these ways, I release you of the right to extract payment for the wounds that you have done because God has treated me better than I deserve, and I'm thankful for that. And he frees me from the toxicity of the bitterness that can be burning inside of me if I nurse that wound, if I feed that wound with a desire to be thankful at the demise of my enemy. I'm going to ask the guys, Harry and Tom, to come down. These guys are available to talk to you, to pray with you, if you'd like that right now. But we're going to ask that you stand. And we're going to pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this time together. This is hard. This is tough stuff. Um, and so we really need your help to figure out how that looks and how that works, the processes, the resources we need to, to be able to learn how to uh, not gloat and be happy and to use thankfulness in the wrong way, particularly when it becomes uh, related to the enemies in our life. Help us, Lord, to, to help work the details of that so that we might be free from the bitterness that separates and scalds and burns not only us, but those whom are close to us and mostly separates us from you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org. 